This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about the show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. For the next edition of my monthly podcast, um, I'm happy to say that after a couple of weeks of trying to schedule um, our guest today, I'm happy that she's here finally. Um, Jennifer Reinhardt, thank Hi, you. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, and I love saying this title because I didn't already have your title before, but I'm like <laughs> Detroit <laughs> Preservation Specialist. Yes, it's, it's a mouthful. I love it. So you and I met what? Um, uh, probably about four or five months ago mm-hmm. through a connect that mm-hmm. we both mm-hmm. know in mm-hmm. the city. And um, I was just very much intrigued with what you do and how it's making, I feel, a really big impact in the city of Detroit. So yeah. please explain what a Detroit preservation <laughs> specialist does. I will do my best. <laughs> so my position is a joint position with the Michigan Historic Preservation Network and the National Trust for Historic Preservation both of which are nonprofit education advocacy organizations for older buildings, historic properties, cultural resources for the Michigan within the state, but for the National Trust nationally. And so this position or a Detroit specialist, I am – I live in the city. I work in the city. I'm kind of the on-the-ground technical expert slash helpline for residents, for community organizations, for developers – who are interested in learning more about historic resources or maybe they have a building and would like to know where to look for financial tools or sure. you know potential tenants. And so I am their point of contact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unusual for organizations we so in Michigan we have greater field reps who service, you know, Greater Michigan, Southeast Michigan, but for Detroit, with everything going on, especially in the past couple of years, it's been really important to have someone on the ground with the, you know, keeping keeping on the pulse of development in the city. And sure. Especially as with the city's new planning department mm-hmm. and a lot of the revitalization downtown and in neighborhoods, really bringing these historic properties back online. And I mean, what type of, I mean, you say you're the point of contact. So what kind of calls do you get from people? Like give us a typical call that you may get. What kind of questions people are asking? A lot of calls are from homeowners who, you know, the vast majority of housing stock in Detroit is older than, you know, the 1950s. And there's a lot of calls about, oh, our our roof is caving in or, you know, we have a masonry issue. What do we do? Who do we turn to? Sure. And we really see that as such an important part of preservation, you know, helping people maintain their historic homes. So they, you know, so these buildings are active and not, you know, turn to foreclosure. Sure. You know, we want to help change that conversation to where demolition is the only kind of option or the first thing people think of. Sure. We want to help connect people with the existing resources. So a lot of those calls are just letting people know about various city, state, local loans or grants available. Um, we get a lot of calls like that. Yeah. But increasingly, there's a lot of interest in um, community history. Mm. And so working with neighborhood groups to kind of tap into 
oral histories or community stories to identify mm. places and neighborhoods that are important and could lead the direction of the incoming development, what that looks like, how people want to tell the narrative of their community. And I like, you know, I like all different types of calls, but sure. I'm especially drawn to those conversations. No, because I was just peeking through, you know, the numerous emails we all get every day about, mm-hmm. you know, new things happening in the city. And it was in D business in my little info yeah, email I get about up, you know, up news excerpts. And it was talking about how there's an RFP going up for development of two of the last remaining underdeveloped buildings like in Capitol Park. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's nice to know that we're actually making a much stronger effort more in our, our most recent past and now future of preserving a lot of our existing buildings versus, you know, taking them down, Absolutely. which has been in our fortunate, you know, past, not so distant past itself, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to, you know, how you how you're working with people in this position, what at all? I mean, what was your background that brought you into yeah. doing this? So I consider myself a non-traditional preservationist. <laughs> um, my background was in museums and then community development, urban planning. So it's always been a like I've always seen preservation as crucial to what I do and the type of development I would like to you know, encourage in communities and cities where I am. But I don't have, you know, a specific technical background in historic preservation. Sure. So as part of the network, it's great because we are a member organization. We have expert tradespeople, architectural historians, craftsmen. So when I encounter something, it's, you know, I'm part of this larger network of experts. Um, But yeah, my specific background was more in community organizing, development, and so I'm bringing that lens and those skills to Detroit to really, you know, historic preservation is part of that, but it's not the sole driver of our work in the city. Got it. Now, I know, I mean, it's it seems so multifaceted because you said you're, you're a member organization, mm-hmm. so... Um, with these incoming phone calls, I'm mm-hmm. sure you're trying to do as much impact as you can. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've probably, and I know of an event you just had recently in, you know, um, end of June, mm-hmm. a block build in Jefferson Chalmers. Yeah. Um, things like that, that, you know, do you feel that assists in making a bigger impact with so that people bec- can become, you know, more aware of the different aspects of preservation or redevelopment or renovation. Absolutely. Um, so just to explain a bit more mm-hmm. about what that event was, mm-hmm. it was the first time we'd ever done anything like it. It was a one-day volunteer event in mm-hmm. the Jefferson Chalmers neighborhood, which is on the east side of Detroit, bordering Gross Point. Beautiful historic neighborhood. Um, and so We've been working closely there. We've hosted workshops. We we actually are in the middle of rehabbing a land bank house. And so the June 25th event was kind of how do we spread the impact and really make visible the, you know, what historic preservation and renovation can do for a community to encourage, you know, investment to come in and, and start that trickle-down effect or that tipping point, Mm -hmm. um, the critical mass for Mm -hmm. additional um, investment to come into a neighborhood. 
And so it was one day event. We had we worked with five historic homes, so residents in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. who, as we were talking about before, like their homes are lovely, but need a little work because Mm -hmm. they're older homes. And a lot of the residents of the area are elderly and, you know, everyone could use a little help. So this event paired, you know, using our network of expert tradespeople and contractors, we had stucco repair, window repair, um, landscaping, exterior paint, um, you know, removal and preparation, and repointing, so like masonry. And so combining education so the tradespeople would teach best practices, you know, here's what you look for, here's the techniques, here's... And then actually use the actual house to do repairs. And so we had over 88 participants that day on the houses um, doing the repairs. And I would say less than half, but about 40% of the participants were from the neighborhood itself. That's great. And then, yeah, so it was, it's kind of changing the, the dynamic of what is considered preservation in the city. You Mm -hmm. know, we had preservationists volunteer, but we also had people who wanted to do a community event and meet Mm -hmm. their neighbors. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of breaking down those barriers of, you know, yes, you have the, you mentioned the the two remaining buildings in in downtown, you Mm -hmm. know, that's definitely historic preservation, but so are these smaller, more neighborhood um, projects. I mean, I like the smaller because I think in the long run they can potentially make a much bigger impact because if people can see you know, sometimes what little can be done, but they can get a lot of support for, yeah. for getting it done is pretty huge. Yeah, and, and just for an example, so much of it is educating about older buildings. And mm-hmm. so, you know, just pointing out that, well, if you fix your rain gutter, that will help with the exterior, you know, the masonry deterioration. Like all of sure. everything's kind of connected and people... I don't know. It, it's just that that moment of education. To, um, Can you walk us through what that day was like? Because I'm sure you had a schedule. <laughs> it's a long day. My feet are still recovering. No, <laughs> you know of like how how this was going about. Like, did you tackle each house separately, or did each kind of have similar kinds of repairs? So it's right. like, okay, eight a.m. We're going to work on the tuck pointing. You know, right, 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 right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we could have done it many ways, but we decided we wanted to do. We wanted to make sure that people had enough time. On, we called them build teams mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to to both, you know, learn the technique and then have time to apply it and have that hands-on component. Sure. Yeah. So rather than having little stations that people would rotate, we placed people in advance on teams. So part of the when people signed up, they would indicate their skill level because we didn't want you know there were some tasks that were harder you know. Masonry is harder than landscape. Well, I say harder, but, right, yeah. um, you know, right. more skill or expertise. Sure, sure. sure. Um, so we, in advance, kind of placed those volunteer teams. And so at 9 o'clock, we had people arrive, have breakfast, you know, talk a little more about our work in the neighborhood, what the day would look like. And then from 10 until 2, mm-hmm. with a short break for lunch, people were on their build teams at the site. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so for four, four four-ish hours. And some teams went a little longer. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was a good, it was a good day. Um, 
we and so the tasks so you know and we were very clear with expectations with the homeowners sure, you know this is sure. not it's going to be done know, and DIY yeah, yeah we're not going to completely come in and redo your house right. this is not right. that type of event but the projects that they did start, they saw to completion, which was really exciting for us. What was the planning involved in doing this kind of event? And are we hopefully going to see more where, you know, you can get more engagement from the community at large who wants to help participate in this? Yeah, I think um, this event grew out of a lot of intensive community engagement that we've been doing in the neighborhood for the past three years. Wow. So we had a lot of that buy-in, those connections. Um, we picked that particular block to have the event because it was where our land bank house was. So it sure. um, it just you know made strategic sense for us. But you know, I was in the months leading up to the event, knocking on doors, meeting neighbors. Um, we actually um, one of the 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 group of neighbors started a block club as a result of kind of this event. And and on the block build, that was the day of their first official meeting, which was very exciting. Yeah. Um, And yeah, our approach was very neighborhood driven community partners. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we've already been approached by other block clubs that would like to see a similar event in the neighborhood and Mm -hmm. other neighborhoods. So I think, you know, funding, Dependent, we would love to do another event in close partnership with another area because, as you said, the impact of not only the physical improvement on some of these homes, but beyond that, you know, learning skills that you can then take with you back to your home in another area mm-hmm. or meeting your neighbors or just breaking down those barriers to building reuse and, yeah, myths surrounding that. Yeah. Well, I know one... I've been kind of following the growth and the exposure of a similar organization called Brick and Beam. Yeah. It's been hosting several mm-hmm, workshops mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that to me is it's just pretty phenomenal. I mean, yeah. I think in some levels it's like, geez, I really like, you know, you guys work with people with doing masonry mm-hmm. work on the block build in Jefferson Chalmers, but it's like, I can learn to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no. oh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just pretty, it's pretty fantastic, which, you know, I think it's very empowering whoever you may be, man, woman, teenager, mm-hmm. whatever, first-time homebuyer, to have that skill set yeah. to know how to do certain th- so, those things so that you don't necessarily have to pay a contractor yeah. if you don't have the means to do mm-hmm. it. Like, you know, I'm, of course, if we're talking about rebuilding a wall, you, know, you might need it. Right. Do. But, like, if we're doing s- simple tuck pointing that might need mm-hmm. stuff, you know, it's pretty amazing to know that you can actually get those materials and yeah. it's not as... Um, you know, um, it's not it's not a big it's not a large challenge that you can't successfully get through mm-hmm. and do yourself, or even know how to self-diagnose some issues, sure. or know what questions to ask your contractor. Sure, I think those are that's huge, and I think the brick and beam is great. They're actually so the um, three organizations that partner for Brick and Beam or mm-hmm. Michigan Historic Preservation Network, Perfect. Detroit yep. Future City and Preservation mm-hmm. Detroit. Mm-hmm. And the way that they are creating a network for building rehabbers across the city. So you learn skills, but then also 
you know, you can throw out questions or ask people for recommendations of a good, you know, a mason that they would recommend or mm-hmm. tool, where to find a tool to do a sure. project themselves. I think building that infrastructure is going to be crucial as more of these projects come online in the city. Yeah. And I just, again, it's, you know, in, in many respects where we're, we're seeing how our, our economy is, is growing and getting stronger, we know that there's still several facets of our economy that aren't, that are still working mm-hmm. on building themselves up from mm-hmm. the downfall of the economy. And just having a strong community base and having those kind of outreach um, resources mm-hmm. is so key to know that you can still, you know, remain in the home that you're in and yeah. still, and, you know, have the support, you know, to stay there. Because yeah. I'm sure, I, I know I've seen it, you know, people who've abandoned houses because they've gotten beyond repair that mm-hmm. they feel that they can physically mm-hmm. um, take care of themselves or mm-hmm. financially do that. Mm-hmm. And who would ever want to see that happen? But yeah. we know it's still a part it's of a our reality. reality. Mm-hmm. Do you have any scheduled workshops or um, builds scheduled in the future? Yeah, so we have an upcoming workshop series in September. Mm-hmm. So these are not, you know, a full day block build extravaganza. These are more two hour, you know, Wednesday evening. So actually, all every Wednesday in September in the Livernois Six Mile area. So that's where University District, Palmer Park, Mm -hmm. Marygrove, um, that area, those neighborhoods. Um, We have upcoming workshops on window masonry, weatherization, and building maintenance. Mm. Um, And as I said, you know, we would love to do another block build. So we are looking for funding opportunities and partnerships. Um, But yeah, MHPN, we, we try to offer as many you know, when a community comes to us and would really love to host a wood window workshop, mm-hmm. you know, we try our best to facilitate such a workshop. When you're talking about the financial funding to do uh, an event like that, mm-hmm. like what are you looking more from like corporate sponsorships, donations, and what is what's the financial commitment for those kind of builds? Like, yeah, if it's all volunteer. That are coming. Right. But know? we did. So for our major budget items for the block build were materials. Sure. And, you know, stipends for our expert, you know, mm-hmm. people leading the workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did get a grant from the National Trust for Historic Preservation. It was a matching grant. Um, so the other matching funds came from Quicken Loans. Okay. And Clannad Foundation, which is a, a small family foundation. Um, so we haven't... So we're we're looking along those lines for for you know our additional funding search. So we're hopeful. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, I know, you know, when it comes to trying to educate my own buyers about similar things, like yeah. and it's so important to be able to give them this kind of a resource. So if they're looking and they are somewhat handy to be mm-hmm. able to tackle on these kind of projects, they mm-hmm. know who they can go to or those kind of resources, you know. Um you said your background was mainly in like museums, right? <laughs> right. So how? Okay. So here we're coming back full circle. So how? Yeah. Like, what made you decide to jump into? You said you were involved in a lot of community organizing, but like, where yeah. else were you looking? Like, what brought you to yeah, Detroit? Sure. Yeah. So I should admit. So I moved yeah. here from Chicago 
Um, I started this position last June, so I've been here over a year, just mm-hmm. over a year. Um, so yeah, my background, you know, I uh, undergrad degree in archaeology. For one of my first jobs after college was in the museum, at working for the Chicago Cultural Alliance, which was a coalition of kind of small heritage museums in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I love thinking about how to connect heritage with contemporary issues, and that interest drove me towards further education in urban planning where I thought about, you know, designing spaces, community involvement, Mm -hmm. what that growth, how is it shaped, you know, questions about that. And um, while, you know, working while I completed my degree in Chicago, looking for, you know, jobs in that field, I was interviewing a lot in Chicago, um, a couple in Texas, actually. (laughs) And then I just, I saw this position opening up in Detroit and it was just, it was one of those the moments don't happen very often, but sure. it just it felt it felt right, and it it worked out. And I'm so I'm so glad to be here doing this type of work. When you did the block build, you know, when you're working face to face with the community, how, what what did you recognize, you know, in the levels of of appreciation, enthusiasm of the community, to, you know, being a part of this? Like, how did they welcome this kind of engagement? Yeah, I think. Um, Communities in Detroit, I would say, are kind of skeptical of outside people coming in to do a do-good project and leaving. So I think, you know, to put it bluntly, so I think our, you know, we did have a reputation in the neighborhood as being engaged, involved, being there for, you know, there to stay. You know, we're buying a house that we're fixing up. Right. So I think that helped. And I had some frank conversations with some residents about, you know, what who would benefit from, you know, an event like this. And I think bringing, because we didn't, we didn't ask any of the residents to pay for, you know, participating in this, mm-hmm. in this event. It was kind of donated, you know, services, right. repairs on their house. Yeah. And a lot of them, you know, they, you know, made lemonade, like organized this cookout with hot dogs and, you mm-hmm. know, contributed in those ways. And also, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that we could not have um, gotten the level of buy-in and participation without, you know, our neighborhood leaders helping knock on doors, Mm -hmm. helping getting the waivers signed, Mm -hmm. you know, really giving us that legitimacy um, from the block. Yeah. And so we – they were – the five families that were participating – we got such incredible feedback from them. It mm-hmm. was just, you know, thank you. Thank you for, you know, helping with these repairs and creating this um, this first of many more ways to be involved in the community, learn more about home repair resources, get connected with volunteers for future block build projects or alley cleanups in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... It was really great. Did you have the participation of in any of the local council or you know state reps present for that block? Yeah, build, so. you know we um, we did um, representatives from Councilman Spivey and then uh, Representative Talabi um, and then Coleman. Yeah, so some of them were out of town, but mm-hmm. some of them sent representatives. So we got some political um, support for for the day and for previous events we've done we've had you know 
elected officials come and say a few words. Yeah. But I'm sure it was just more of the engagement of what you said that you literally do ha- you had to do on your own feet and own time yeah. from door to door. So what you know what was the time commitment that, that it took from like the inception of having this event to its you know culmination of uh, on June 25th like what yeah you know, how long of a timing did it take for you to get this to I would say I forward? started seriously planning at end of March yeah. early April mm-hmm. um, and it <laughs> there were a lot of components you know sure. it was it was learning um, and kind of navigating Detroit's changing uh, requirements for <laughs> various permitting mm-hmm. um, things <laughs> I can only imagine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but again you know having local partners one of our local partners was Jefferson East which mm-hmm. is a great um, community development corporation and they had connections with um, uh, Wayne County or people who so we didn't have to rent a dumpster we got you know commitments That's for huge. people to yeah. right to come mm-hmm. and pick up you know and we had specified um, places where we would leave the debris, but you know, there these connections are everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it took you know what three months of intensive mm-hmm. um, planning just to. And again, it was um, building that you know meeting those the fir- you know the from the first door knock to the follow up conversation about what this would look like to um, you know getting or pairing the the repair task with the build team there were lots of um little moving pieces plus you know this wasn't my my full-time job was not planning this event you know right. were oh yeah <laughs> of course not <laughs> of course not yeah i know i mean i i feel like it's we in that we're in the need of it now but back in 2003 and 2004 to kind of bring light into then the new developments that the mm-hmm. city of Detroit was having by way of like whether it's new apartment buildings or condos. I worked on an event called Illuminate, which I'm, I'm thinking about trying to re-engage again as we're seeing new projects kind of like emerge mm. in the city. And we've seen like different tours pop up as of late, mm-hmm. you know, to help showcase some of these new residential projects, but just a way to, to better educate people about all the new stuff that's actually yeah. happening in the city by way of residential choices because yeah. I still I know because I get the phone calls it's a, still a really difficult city to navigate to know you know where's a good safe place to live and you know mm-hmm. where can I go for various resources mm-hmm. you know of course the usual question of shopping to mm-hmm. like things like if I need a repair person who mm-hmm. do I go to and where you know where are those kind of resources so I just think it's it's we're doing a lot and we still have a lot more to go to to filling in a lot of those gaps that I think the city saw separate us for decades and I do believe there's you know there's strong core of current residents as well as the excitement and engagement for people who are now making the conscious commitment to want to live here that are working you know like yourself to really commit you know to connect those dots Mm -hmm, and connect mm -hmm. That, you know, and make more of a stronger connection community as, you know, for Metro Detroit mm-hmm. as a whole, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, in each individual community. Yeah, there's a lot of energy right now. And mm-hmm. each neighborhood has, you know, it, it kind of a distinct flavor. But a lot of there's a lot of collaboration between neighborhoods of what's working over here that we could, you know, potentially adapt and, you know, put over here. And I think that's that type of dialogue is only going to strengthen 
development and attract more people. What would you say would be that if there is a number of things, let's say um, with you in this position, what are some of the things that you would like to see improved upon as you've been working in your position now to make things better? in the future like what things would you strengthen you know whether it be you know you tell me like what would you do differently yeah well one of a goal for you know the next coming years um would definitely be to improve communication channels between whether it's between departments of the city or between you know different neighborhoods and stakeholders but in the lens of historic resources, you know, there's a lot of attention on downtown or certain areas, and there's a lot of amazing cultural gems that aren't necessarily being highlighted as much. So how do we get that information? How do we encourage those types of stories to be told? That's something that I would really like to see improved in the city, and I think there's already... Um, strong support for that. So, I mean, not to simplify what that entails, but I know um, that just the introduction of the app, you know, Improved Detroit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be something as simple I, as an app. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that could at least get people, you know, if you can download it, you can get mm-hmm. that information a whole lot easier. Yeah. You know, as to who to contact. Yeah. I mean, right now it's so easy to report, you know, abandoned cars or their mm-hmm. pothole. And yeah, why why not just extend that for, you know, oh, this, this is a building that's really important we would like to save or oh, you know, and, mm-hmm. and all the different iterations of that. Absolutely. Now. You, you're familiar probably with the, the various communities and the setups of their, I should say, historic preservation as well. Like, do people talk to you if, like, you know, if they're, like, in Indian Village to know oh, the specifics yeah. of mm-hmm. each community and what the requirements are for each community as well? Yeah, so um, I think, or to your point, so mm-hmm. there are many neighborhoods that are historically designated, mm-hmm. and so that is a specific thing that they have to go before the Historic District Commission to get certain. So um, we're definitely a resource to help navigate that process, what that looks like, what, you know, who to who to talk to in the city or, you know, to make sure that um, that process is as smooth as possible. Um, But we also was that did that get your question? Yeah. 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 I mean, because I know I know like. Boston Edison has like a website mm-hmm. where you can find out more specific details oh, yeah. to their community. You know, Indian Village does too, but they also have strong, you know, community orgs like the villages too yeah. that can help facilitate that. So, it's no, like that's bringing a, a mm-hmm. lot of those resources together. So. I agree. I think right now there is a Detroit Historic Neighborhood Coalition, and mm-hmm. I think that strengthening that because you're right a lot of like boston edison has an amazing neighborhood association website presence some of the smaller ones maybe don't have that much visibility so how can these various neighborhoods band together to you know have more of a cohesive citywide voice especially to help guide or influence some of these new development decisions so yeah Mm -hmm. i would i would love to see more of that um, in the coming years, too. Of, And I'm intrigued when you mentioned before regarding this um, 
uh, verbal narrative that you're working on with the community, you know, this narrative. Tell me more. Tell us more about that because that's really intriguing because the first thing that comes to mind is like, you know, spending a lot of time up north camping in Michigan Mm -hmm. and visiting various uh, parts of like Charlevoix and Traverse City and getting to know some of the Native American culture Mm -hmm. um, of up north. And that just makes me think of like, you know, this narrative of storytelling and of Native Americans and like, this is where we came from. This is our history. Exactly. So um, another term that's thrown around a lot is placemaking. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of communities, you know, in Corktown, in the Livernois Six Mile area, in Jefferson Chalmers, um, these development or these community development organizations, these neighborhood associations are starting to think, you know, how do we take the this because Detroit has such a rich history, you know, sure. from Native Americans to mm-hmm. French to British to you know the, mm-hmm. the automotive like fur trading. Like it's um, it's very unique. And so how do we capture, channel, and use that to either, you know, determine what sort of businesses would be residents want to see, you know, that were there in the past or what signage or what like interpretive information about a place we can to, you know, either share with locals or people coming in about the area, just making more meaningful um, development in these areas using history. Mm -hmm. Well, I know like Indian Village has done some things with signage to kind of differentiate itself with, you know, as like a neighborhood within the city. And Mm -hmm. I've gone to other, you know, parts of of Canada, Toronto, for example, where Mm -hmm. you can, you know, they have signage up so you can see more of a of the areas that you're in, like mm-hmm. just simplifying your known Chinatown. I mean, not that you want to be that specific, but I'm just thinking, yeah, you know, uh, when I when people come here that have never spent a lot of time in Detroit and they want, you know, this tour of all these great places, mm-hmm. you know, and for for them, a lot of times it is the visual because you can see sometimes when you're entering certain areas mm-hmm. from others just in the difference of the landscape. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you try to explain to people like what Indian Village is, you know, and how big it is, you know, it's like having uh, like that signage up or something, you know, something as simple as that can help people, you know, I think also being more engaged within their communities. And yeah, just giving context for these mm-hmm. places. I agree. Um, and I think. Yeah, I think, you know, people, we've all seen the historic markers. Those are mm-hmm. great. We mm-hmm. could, you know, encourage more of like thematic trails, either, you know, civil rights or Underground Railroad or, mm-hmm. you know, sports or whatever it is. But also, I think, again, merging some of those boundaries. So if mm-hmm. we're having like an urban, like an urban garden or, you know, have how that could be a space to also include some of this interpretive history or signage or, Mm -hmm. you know, talking, you know, there's ways, other things like that. Because I still have yet to see a really fabulous map. Yeah, well, (laughs) you know, I mean, they're great Mm -hmm. ones for Midtown. I like the ones for Midtown, but like, would it, could it be something that we could actually open up and comprehend that you sometimes get from other cities, you Mm -hmm. know, that actually start, okay, this is where Indian Village Mm -hmm. is, this is where Corktown is, and these are the areas surrounding, like to have something like that as a resource to give to people. Would be phenomenal if yeah. we can. And I know we've I've seen, um, you know, smaller scale maps for specific communities, mm-hmm. but to really 
show the city on on a map. Anybody who's got the creative juices to do that would be phenomenal. Because yeah. I know you can pull them up online, but if there's some way to make put that into some kind of an amazing printed form, mm-hmm. it would be so incredible. Yeah. So when like when I'm telling people you know, about various areas and I can sit down with them in my office and be like, okay, this is the area of Midtown and have it be expansive enough. So it's like, you can see the distance, like actual in like miles or kilometers, like Mm -hmm. how far this area is from the city and commuting Mm -hmm. and those kind of things, you know, Mm -hmm. I still think we're, we're pretty, um, we're not as cohesively together Mm -hmm. on some of that stuff as we are working towards and hopefully creating yeah you know because it's all i think it's all would create or, or, or building on the greater whole of the city is we're all is we're trying to do you know it's like it's really bringing everything together mm-hmm. which i think is to me is really important rather than trying to separate certain areas yeah you know? no i agree you know? well if people are looking to ask you more questions because i'm hoping yeah. after today they will Give us your information and how people can get in contact with you or websites to get more information. Yeah, absolutely. So our website is www.mhpn.org, and that's for the Michigan Historic Preservation Network. And then the National Trust for Historic Preservation is www.savingplaces.org. And my email address is Reinhardt, R-E-I-N-H-A-R-D-T, at mhpn.org, and I'm happy to... We'll be sure to give information to the folks here at our podcast so that when we get some more information, we'll be able to broadcast that out to everybody. And, you know, for me, once again, this facet of Detroit preservation is such a big part of why I love doing what I do in the city and Mm -hmm. thankfully have the present um, fortune of working with similarly beautiful historic and context buildings and properties Mm -hmm. and um, always want to make them as a as a big part of what I showcase and what I bring to the table to, you know, to people looking for residences in the city of Detroit. So, again, people, if you need to reach out to me, you can through my website, lizindetroit.com, email, which is lt at lizindetroit.com. Of course, my Facebook, Liz in Detroit, <laughs> and Twitter is at lizindetroit. And, of course, cell phone is 313-617-2699. Stay tuned for our next show, which was going to happen in a couple weeks. I'll give some tidbits on our exciting new um, guests for next week. But thanks again for listening in and look forward to talking to you again next time. This is a previously recorded episode.